Hey everyone, I'm Thanos Dabelis and welcome back to The Greek Current, a podcast by the Hellenic American Leadership Council and Kathy Merini, where we highlight the top stories of the day every afternoon with analysis from guest experts, policymakers, journalists, and health staff. More than half a million people have fled their homes to escape the war in Ukraine, as heavy fighting continues across the country and as major cities remain under attack. On Sunday, EU Migration Commissioner Ilva Johansson said hundreds of thousands of refugees had already entered the EU and the bloc needed to prepare for millions. In response, the EU has activated temporary protection for the first time, allowing Ukrainian refugees to reside in the EU without asylum applications. The EU's response to Ukrainian refugees has raised concerns of double standards among aid groups. It has also raised the question of whether this new refugee crisis could prove to be a game-changer when it comes to European countries finally adopting an EU-wide refugee and migration policy. John Saropoulos joins the Greek Current with the latest analysis from Athens. John Saropoulos is an independent journalist based in Athens and Al Jazeera's Southeast Europe correspondent. John, welcome back on The Greek Current. Thank you for having me. John, hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian refugees fleeing Russia's invasion of Ukraine have entered the EU, and officials said that number could reach the millions. Is the EU facing a new refugee crisis? The EU is most definitely facing a new refugee crisis because it doesn't look as though either side is going to back down in this war anytime soon, and the fighting is producing displaced people, displaced civilians. So initially, they may be going across Ukraine, staying within Ukraine uh, with relatives, if possible. But ultimately, a lot of people are already pouring over the border, half a million, according to the latest estimate from the Commission, uh, into Poland and Romania mainly. And after that, I think it's going to be just a question of time before they have to go further afield. So all the EU members are going to be called upon to help. And the European Commission has activated for the first time in its history a directive that was drawn up in 2001 in the wake of the war in Yugoslavia called the Temporary Protection, which will allow displaced people to live within the EU without asylum formalities, which are time-consuming. So that, I think, alone, the fact that that's been invoked for the first time ever tells you the um, expectations on the European side. What other steps are we seeing European members take? I know there were some extraordinary meetings that took place yesterday, and more is expected this week. That's right. There was an extraordinary meeting of Justice and Home Affairs ministers regarding civil protection, and that meeting reconvened today, Monday. But there is going to be a series of meetings throughout the week for migration ministers regarding how to implement the... uh, temporary protection directive. And I think the most contentious point there will be whether to have a mandatory quota system within the European Union, such as was drawn up in the beginning of 2015 to deal with refugees who were coming from outside the European Union. At that time, the Juncker Commission determined how many, what by percentage, what proportion of refugee inflows each European member state should handle, depending on the GDP, the economy, the size of the economy, and also the population size. In um, the case of Greece, for example, it was 1.6%. Ever since then, Greece has handled far more than that as a percentage of EU asylum applications. You could take that as a stencil and try and renegotiate percentages post-Brexit, and suggest that for Ukrainians, you know, this should be mandatory and should be followed. And there are two reasons why this might actually succeed now, whereas it didn't then. One is that 
we're not talking about Muslims and people of color from outside the EU who have always been viewed with suspicion by a certain section of society. And the other is that some of the countries that have been most vehemently against quota systems for asylum and migration within the EU are now the countries that are in the front line of this refugee wave, Poland, the Czech Republic, Hungary, and Slovakia, and looking a little further afield, Austria and Denmark. The sense here is not just that these refugee flows are being created very close to EU member states, but that they involve EU member states politically by virtue of the fact that almost everyone who's in the European Union is also in NATO. So since the political response and the defense response are responses for which we all have to get together and talk, uh, the refugee response can be built upon that consensus. It's easier to follow on from that grouping. And of course, going back to the first reason why I think a quota system might be more palatable this time, let's not forget, we're talking about Caucasian, you know, white Christians who live next door to Europe and could in a future scenario be welcomed into the European Union. And as discriminatory as that sounds, it is much easier for a European electorate to waive formalities for such a group of people than it is for people coming from beyond the European Union, from other cultures, from other religions. I know you've spoken, John, to aid workers and advocates for refugees and migrants in your latest piece. What did they have to tell you about you know, this concern of double standards, which you've brought up in your answer just now? That's a very good question. The NGOs who are hip deep in refugee issues and problems day to day and dealing with people of many different backgrounds and their needs are both appalled and hopeful. They're appalled because there is clearly a double standard, not just on the part of European politicians, but on the part of European society. And hopeful because it would be nice, they believe, if the Ukrainian refugee crisis could open everyone's eyes to the fact that the Syrian refugees and the Afghan refugees and the Yemenis and the Somalis are refugees in exactly the same sense. They also are fleeing war or situations, political situations that put them in very great danger. So it's early days yet, but I think the NGOs are hoping that the deadlocked conversation on a new European pact on migration and asylum and European attitudes more generally can now progress beyond the point around which we've been talking for more than a year now and can form a consensus for the EU27 members that will not only satisfy the needs of Ukrainians, but also go beyond that and build a basis for a migratory and refugee policy more broadly for non-Europeans. That's the hope. What about in practice, John? Two years ago, we saw Turkey attempt to storm the Greek border with refugees, a move which was imitated by Belarus last fall. And this saw a hardening of the EU's migration policy towards one focused on security for the most part. Do you see the latest steps in support of Ukrainian refugees marking a softening of this policy that could open the way for this consensus that you alluded to on an EU-wide migration policy? Well, Turkey's attempt to storm the Greek border with refugees exactly two years ago today, and Belarus' imitation of that policy on the Lithuanian-Polish border in the second half of last year are definitely events which 
firstly politicized the refugee issue and turned it into a form of leverage against the European Union and therefore hardened European Union attitudes, not only against the countries that were trying out this tactic, but also against refugees themselves for being pawns in this game. Because the refugees obviously were willing to try everything they could in order to save themselves. But the Ukrainian crisis now acts in exactly the opposite direction. It's resulted in an outpouring of sympathy and a softening of European attitudes because these people have become refugees right next door to the European Union. They are essentially Europeans, and therefore they are viewed as people that we have to help immediately. So that is, I think, the source of hope that what Belarus and Turkey did in order to create a a sort of geopolitical form of leverage over the EU will now be eroded and that refugees will be redefined as human beings. John, Athens has said that it stands in full solidarity with Ukraine and will welcome Ukrainian refugees to Greece. And we've seen reports already that indicate that over a thousand have arrived in the country. What's the view from Athens as this new refugee challenge unfolds? Because Athens has also been at the forefront of calling for more solidarity from its EU partners. Well, the numbers are still very small and very manageable. Manageable also because many of the people coming from Ukraine to Greece are simply family members of Ukrainians who are already here working, and therefore there is a home for them to move into. There is an income for them to live from because this money was being sent in remittances back to Ukraine. Now it's going to be spent here. There is no logistical problem being created at this point for Greek authorities. And some Ukrainians are, as you say, moving towards Ukraine in order to go and enlist, mostly young men from what we're hearing. So there isn't a problem either in the quantity or the quality of the refugee flows at the moment. These are people who can feed themselves and take care of themselves. And there's an outflow as well as an inflow, so the numbers somewhat balance out. What will happen later on, though, will be more um, important. Greece is likely to demand what it's always demanded, which is that there be an automatic solidarity mechanism within the EU, which means not that we have a voluntary relocation system, such as we had in 2016 to 18, where a few, a sort of coalition of the willing European member states helped out Greece and Italy and relieved them of a few tens of thousands of asylum seekers. The voluntary system never reached its intended volume it only ever reached approximately 25% of the intended volume. I think the Greeks since then have decided you've got to have a mandatory system, and along with the other Mediterranean countries of the EU have demanded that that be put in place. Of course, the Visegrad countries, Hungary, Czech Republic, Poland, and other hardliners have stood firmly against that, so it's never been agreed to. Will there now be a consensus? I think it's early days. It remains to be seen. Remember, only a few months ago, as Syrians were pouring over the Belarusian border into Poland, Poland was putting up fences. The European Commission was trying to convince the Polish government to at least make an attempt at a rapid screening of those people for potential cases of serious asylum need and funded temporary camps, which would have been built right up against the border so that the entire phenomenon could have been contained in that border area and there would be no need for refugees to be dispersed throughout the country but Poland was unwilling to accept even that Poland was saying no we're just going to turn them around and send them back you can see how that mirrors the greek response 
to the storming of the Greek border in February, March of 2020, when the Greek government's attitude was that these people are being instrumentalized, therefore I'm not going to treat them as genuine asylum seekers. They're political pawns, and as far as I'm concerned, some of them could be Turkish agents. So I'm turning them around until further notice, and that's what happened for the month of March. It's going to take time to turn European attitudes from those days and those tactics that were put upon the European Union into the, the more humane attitudes that are required for a consensus on uh, some form of mandatory relocation within the EU. John, thanks for joining us again on The Greek Current. Great speaking with you as always. Thank you, Zana. My pleasure. In other news, Greece is sending ammunition, Kalashnikov-style assault rifles, and missile launchers to Ukraine. Responding to a request by Ukraine and in consultation with its NATO allies and its EU partners and showing its solidarity with the suffering Greek people, Greece will send, within the day, defense equipment, a government statement said on Sunday. Planes carrying humanitarian aid also left Athens carrying items such as blankets and food. In the meantime, the State Department said that Secretary of State Antony Blinken thanked Greece during a call with Foreign Minister Nikos Dendias for its steadfast support over Ukraine, while expressing his condolences over the ethnic Greeks killed during Russian airstrikes in Mariupol. Finally, Turkish President Erdogan on Monday repeated that Turkey could not abandon its ties with Russia or Ukraine amid Moscow's invasion of Ukraine, adding that Ankara would implement the 1936 Montreux Convention. On Sunday, Turkey called Russia's invasion a war, allowing it to invoke the pact to limit the passage of Russian vessels through the Bosporus and Dardanelles Straits. Turkish Foreign Minister Mevlut Cavusoglu reiterated on Sunday that Turkey cannot block all Russian warships accessing the Black Sea due to a clause exempting those returning to their registered base. Meanwhile, Erdogan criticized what he called the indecisive stance by the United States and Western powers to Ukraine's invasion, saying the approach was a sign of a failing international order. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in.